Hello and welcome to Not Couple Goals, the podcast where we talk about the best and, let's face it, worst in romantic thrillers. Uh, I'm your co-host, Tyler McCarthy, joined by my other co-host, Allie Nelson. And this week we are watching the new release, the 2022 movie Don't Worry, Darling, directed by Olivia Wilde, screenplay by Katie Silberman, story by Carrie Van Dyke, Shane Van Dyke, Katie Silberman, and it stars Florence... Pugue? Pew. Pew? Pew. Pew. Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, Gemma Chan, Kiki Lane, Nick Kroll, and Chris Pine. So, we say this at the top of every episode, but for real, if you're listening to this the day it came out, Don't Worry Darling has been in theaters for like three days. Go see it before you listen to this podcast, and then join us because we're going to get all into it. This is your spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't even think this movie's been in theaters three days. What day does it come out? Uh, It comes out on September 23rd. Okay, so yeah. Well, right at the top, I just want to say, you didn't know I was going to do this, but this is a very special episode of Not Couple Goals because it is the first one Allie and I are recording as a married couple. Yeah, we are couple goals. That's right. Yeah. So now this is a husband and wife podcast, and I'm really excited to talk with my wife about this new release because it was kind of crazy. I'm going to be honest up front, like this movie was not really my cup of tea, but we're going to get into it. But before we do that, I'm going to put it to you, Allie, uh, for our first segment of the podcast, which is what you expected from Don't Worry Darling going into it. Um, I definitely expected, I think the trailer does do uh, a job of showing you that you're going to see this sort of idealistic 1950s sort of thing and that it's going to have this Twilight Zone creepy undertone underlining like everything's not always as it seems kind of vibe. So, I mean, that's what I was expecting going in. Other than that, I actually big fan of Florence Pugh, whose name I'm just learning how to say. And it's like I'm, a laser sorry. gun, like pew pew. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, uh... Florence, because I I think you're very talented and I've loved every performance I've seen of yours, but she's going to listen. She does listen. Um, Her and I are talking. Yeah, I would would love that. But so uh, I I was expecting, you know, greatness from her because I haven't had her let me down yet. So uh, other than that, yeah, that's that's kind of it. I mean, um, I I knew it was directed by Olivia Wilde. That was the other thing. And that's kind of what I expected going into it. Olivia Wilde, just her general off or off-screen persona is very like feminist focused and things like that. So when I saw that she was setting a thriller in the 1960s, I was kind of like, okay, you know, this is going to be a very, the horrors of make America great again kind of thing. And, you know, when you see that it's a thriller about a woman, like questioning her surroundings and things like that, I kind of thought we were in for that kind of, that kind of trope when it comes to the thriller. And, uh, you know, that's, kind of in many ways what we got from this movie but we'll we'll get into uh execution i think this movie's going to get compared to twilight zone a lot not just on this podcast and i think that's very generous to don't worry darling and possibly insulting to the twilight zone but before we get into all of that first for the podcast listener particularly the ones who ignored our spoiler alert ali do you want to run through 
what this movie is actually about with a brief summary? No. Do you want to give the longest summary in podcast history? Strap in, folks. I hope I hope you've listened to this episode on a long drive, because here it comes. Yeah, I'm just word for word going to reenact it as a one-woman <laughs> show. Yeah, I'm not going to let you even participate. Just just me. All right, I'm yeah, going okay. to go have a sandwich. I guess. No, you have to be my audience. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's nice from my husband. Yeah, so uh, briefly, I'll, I'll be honest up front. We did maybe miss... 30 seconds to a couple minutes of the movie. So if there's something very vital up there, which I don't think there was, we did miss it. And I'm sorry. We went to a uh, early screening of the movie with yeah. a Q&A after. We'll get into that. But anyway, opens on sort of an idealistic uh, looking neighborhood. This group of people uh, having a wonderful party. Looks like it's very 1950s, like the happiest time in the 1950s. Very opulent, sort of perfect couples going through their days we see you know Florence Pugh and uh, Harry Styles they're married they have this very ideal marriage she does the very perfect 1950s housewife thing you know giving him the perfect little meal in the morning with the toast and the eggs and the bacon sending him off to work with his lunchbox they're very much in love constantly making out he's going in his very fancy like 1950s car like handsome husband perfect wife she does her little like housewifey thing where she cleans the house she hangs out with her little lady buddies who are doing the same things and kind of ad nauseum that's sort of their day-to-day then she starts to notice something's off. Part of it is driven by the fact that her friend is, uh, or her former friend, starts not being the perfect housewife. She starts questioning things, bringing things up in public, and, and everyone thinks she's losing her mind. Turns out she actually might be the only one who's, like, sane. And things are not as they seem in the neighborhood. Things are not as perfect as they seem. There's a lot of strange things happening underlining. Chris Pine's character, who's sort of, like, the head of it all, he has a lot to do with maybe the nefarious things that are happening. And that's kind of, you know, Florence goes through her journey of figuring out what is going on here in this neighborhood and why things are not so perfect. Yeah. And that, I guess, gets me right into because it's going to be apparent up top that I, you know, I did not really like this movie. And I think part of the reason for that is because the two things we've just talked about, either what we were expecting as well as what the movie actually delivered, it's very much like, you know, they start out and it's very picturesque. And then you start to learn from Florence's point of view, something ain't right in this town. Uh, The town is called Victory. It's like a project run by Chris Pine. And all the men in town are working on this top secret thing that's going to change the world. He does a lot of this like annoying self-help guru kind of speak. He's the only radio personality in town and all the men are working on this revolutionary project and all the women are there to support them. And then it just becomes apparent. Yeah, something ain't right in this town. And then like an hour and a half of movie goes by where like more examples of something ain't right in this town, something ain't right in this town, something ain't right in this town until finally the movie ends. You get your answers. And after that much time, the the answers just weren't very satisfying to me. It just felt very underwritten. They ha- they didn't have enough idea to cover a movie. This would have been a great episode of Black Mirror, a great like 30-minute episode of The Twilight Zone, as we said before. But as a movie, it felt very repetitive to me at times. I think I, I enjoyed the movie more than you did. I think that this movie had a great story that wasn't executed the way that it should have been. I think that, yeah, they lost it in the execution, but I think like 
it could have been a good movie in other people's hands. And I think it was very beautifully shot. And I think that there were some really complicated, interesting shots that were pulled off really well. I will agree, not to interrupt, but I do agree. Yes, the movie does look beautiful. I can't deny that. Yeah. It's so bright and colorful. And when they need it to be less bright and colorful, they do a great job of like, the tone is very good. And yeah, some of the shots, like you mentioned, are very complicated. Yeah, like it's great art direction, great costuming, great cinematography. I think that the the shots are directed well and very exact. But the movie as a whole, it just doesn't have the the substance it needs to pull you through the whole thing. But I didn't, like you mentioned to me after we saw it that you you were bored for a lot of it. And I didn't find myself bored, but I did find myself like, I think it needed to be longer in the beginning showing this very idealistic like place that they were living, like showing their day-to-day life. I think it needed to breathe in that a little bit longer because weird things start happening by like minute five. Then you are kind of, yeah, treated to a movie that's like an hour of like, oh, things are weird here. And just like different examples of things being weird versus like different scenes saying different things. Yes, I agree. I don't necessarily agree that, it's, I think they established their life okay. There's not much to it. You know, she he goes to work, she cooks some breakfast, she cleans the house all day, she has a drink and dinner waiting for him when they get home, he fucks, they, you know, and it's the whole thing. But well, the problem is if you're not spending, in, like we kind of go through like a day, a day and a half with them. Mm-hmm. If you don't spend that much time, then you don't establish enough of a pattern for then a breaking of the pattern to be weird. So oh, it's like if it happens like four minutes in, you are just like, well, th- this has been the norm to me because you haven't shut. I understand that their norm is different, but I haven't seen enough of their norm. I see your point. I guess I the, the pattern was established enough to me. It was just they kept breaking the pattern in the same ways. And like you said, I needed it to be I needed there to be more to discover so that throughout the movie we can get more and more pieces of this. What the problem was, is there was just one thing to discover and it took them an hour and a half to discover it. And then they did. And then the movie was over. And, and it was like, what's wrong in this town? Like, why exactly. is this town weird? And I guess like in the interest of just being able to talk about this freely, should we just give away the twist now? I mean, explain what ends up happening. Um, I mean, I feel like maybe we can go through. Go through a little bit. A All right. Little well, here bit. I have. A, I, I actually came prepared with a question uh, to up top about just the establishment of this world and how idyllic it is. And the first thing I wanted to ask is you see her go through her day to day. What to you was the best and the worst part of living in victory? If you were Florence Pugh, what would you love and what would you fucking hate about this place? There was a part, and this is so not the, this is not the feminist part of me, but this is the I hate capitalism part of me where I, there was a part of me that was like, it would be really nice to not have a job. And to just be able to, like, sit around with your friends and not be expected to really, like, you know, accomplish anything in society. Like, you just get to sit and relax and have, like, martinis at the pool. And, like, then they also got to, like, go to the mall. And when they went to the mall, they were able to just buy whatever they wanted and just charge it to accounts. And, like, they didn't even know how much the things were or, like, where the money really was. Like, they don't know what their husband's jobs are even. They just know that their husbands have jobs. They don't know how much is in their bank accounts. They're just charging things that they like I hate capitalism it's awful so like I hate that I love buying things but yeah the idea that my life could just consist of drinking martinis with my friends and buying (laughs) whatever I wanted and like laying by the pool that part sounded good I mean like I wouldn't enjoy having to do the housewifey things which was like the cleaning I would not love the cooking would get old eventually I like cooking but like I like cooking because I choose to cook if you came home and like was like hey 
where's dinner that's like my nightmare that was like yeah. what i saw like so many women go through like that's the example like a lot of the generation before us had but i did appreciate that you know harry styles plays florence Pugh's husband and i did appreciate where one night he comes home and she's passed out from a day of this town is weird and he just like didn't bat an eye he just starts making dinner poorly but he he just yeah grabs the food and just starts doing his best which i appreciated to see yeah but it is another one of those like the bar for men is so low it's a tavern in hades sort of things yeah it's like yeah like he's trying to do it but he burns like three of the four courses that he's trying to cook and like can't even figure out how to do mashed potatoes he's literally trying to smash raw potatoes in a bowl with like a bottle of scotch and it's like dude like you're not that stupid like you you yeah. gotta have more He's, you just boil them you're not you're not that stupid yeah and you also come to find out that like his his brain isn't focused elsewhere so like he like at work all day so yeah what i would have loved is the luxury of it i do mm-hmm. think yeah would that get old yes would like the demanding husband get it coming home being like hey where's dinner that would get old too needing to clean the house all the time that would get old not having a job maybe i wouldn't care as much about cooking and cleaning but i don't know like that's that's not great what i would hate about it i suppose is like the the lack of intellectual stimulation yeah. it definitely seemed like there was not like the things on tv was just like it was black and white tv and like chris pine's voice yeah, <laughs> telling the, you like things are wonderful we're You're driving forward <laughs> while society is moving backwards and telling us to move sideways and in an oval twirling toward <laughs> greatness it was like all that kind of speak a lot of like andrew Ryan bullshit for my Bioshock fans out there. And uh, I didn't really see, like, we, I think, saw books, but they seemed to be more window dressing. Like, there just yeah. didn't seem to be anything. Not a cracked spine in that house. Yeah, anything interesting. Like, so, I think, yeah, lack of intellectual stimulation I would have hated. And, like, they can't go to the beach or, like, really leave. So the, the confinement of it, I think I would hate, too. And the ballet. All the women did ballet <laughs> for some reason. In front of like a portrait of Chris Pine. It was, there's a lot. I like the act of doing ballet. I just hate ballet teachers. <laughs> a big central plot of the early, I guess like the first act, second act, is Florence Pugh's character does see her former friend start to question this society. Like they're very out in the open with it. Like they're, they're aware that they're in this grand experiment. They're living in this grand experiment. One of the interesting things I thought was there was, for something that's clearly set in the 1960s, 1950s, People of color were very present and welcome in the town, which, in my opinion, gave away the like twist in the end that we'll get to. But everyone was very like aware that they're part of something experimental, which is why the women couldn't leave and why they would shoot each other dirty looks whenever questions about what they're doing started to come up. And like the women were told not to question what the husband's jobs were or go beyond a certain boundary in this like valley in the desert and one of the things that i thought was interesting about it was that they were all along for the ride well i mean i don't think the majority of the women like you know will come to learn like it's not necessarily a thing where the women have been volunteered for it. It's like, I think we find out like one of the women is like in there voluntarily. And I'm having trouble talking about this movie without like talking about the twist in the end. Well, I wanted to know that like what oh. you would, you would like about what you would like and you would hate about living. In oh victory. yeah. So like, obviously Harry Styles character wants for nothing when he like is at home. Like he's always having sex with her. He's always eating these amazing meals. She's always got a drink ready for him. And then, on the weekends like they're like 
bacchanalias are amazing. Like they're a lot of fun. They're, they're doing those like sexy like 1950s dance. Like they go to their friends, they're having martinis and everyone's dancing and happy. Yeah. And it's like, that seems like a lot of fun. I guess the thing that I would hate is the idea that you would be or my wife would be at home preparing the house for my arrival, preparing food, preparing a drink, waiting to like support me. Honestly, the pressure of that feels <laughs> exhausting. I, like I've had bad days at work. We all have where you just like I screwed something up or I just wasn't that productive or something like that. And then I come home to this fawning wife being like, I'm here to support you entirely. My whole day has been in service of making sure you're relaxed after a hard day of work. I would be like, can I get you something? Because my day wasn't that hard. Like yeah. I, that pressure would bother me. Well, and I think, I think that's why you married me. Cause I <laughs> married I'm, me I'm, a working gal. I'm a nice, I'm a nice wife and I'm supportive, but yeah, I'm, I would not be the, the woman who's like, I spent my whole day just thinking about you and I did and, everything for you. Like, instead I like that I can come home to you and be like, I had a tough day and yeah. you'll pamper me a little bit and vice versa. I hope. Yeah. And like, that's what I like. The idea that like, it's just expected of you to have like scrubbed the tub once a day is like insane. Yeah. It's self-cleaning. That's not true. Wash your tubs, but not once a day. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really like the the, the crux of it. I mean, the fashion was, I also think something I, I don't like, true. I don't like the idea that I would be forced to dress like that every day, like forced to wear a dress and like to, you know, have your hair done and blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't like that every day, but I do love the fashion of like the 50s, 60s era. Yeah. And I like that they all looked good you know like even the men because like men don't have a lot of like fun fashion yep in general like especially nowadays but yeah the men look pretty sharp the cars were gorgeous the men did look sharp but at the same time and it's still true today there's not a lot of diversity in men's fashion like at the time men wore suits and fedoras and different variations yeah. of those like there wasn't a lot to it they'd go to parties and they're wearing like khakis and one of those bowling shirts and yeah like, like a plaid that's the up. casual look yeah there's not a lot to it and yeah if you don't have the build of harry styles like yeah those suits don't look that great Mm. that part I wouldn't enjoy I do like wearing a suit but like yeah I need something tailored that looks a lot better whereas Harry Styles can just roll out of bed spin around in his closet <laughs> and come out looking good well also the, the idea of being like forced to wear this suit day in day out even to like you know your friend's houses and yeah it is like oh and that's so uncomfortable that's the good of victory is this process the men all go to work at the same time the women stay home at the same time and they have this life but then cracks start to show and let's talk a little bit about the thrill elements of the movie what was your favorite sort of scary vignette fucked up thing that happened to Florence Pugh you know it's hard because they all do a little blend together because they were all very similar like there wasn't like one where I was like oh my god I'm so scared or this is really freaking me out like the first sort of one that I remember is when she's cracking the eggs and nothing is in them yes and like she's such a great actress that like she makes a lot out of something that like wasn't so interesting yeah. but like you know it is interesting but yeah when she she cracks like every egg from that thing and I'm interested enough to watch you know her do each one but yeah lesser actress that would have been a boring scene so I, th- I think like that like the the opener of that I think because I hadn't the movie hadn't quite 
lost me. I was intrigued by that one. And then once she actually like she's you know she's a sees the plane crash and she follows it into the desert. I guess that was the most interesting one because like she actually kind of physically goes on a journey and seeing the plane was so you know they really didn't deal with it. Now that I think about it, like what happened because with that plane? Because what was it? That, yeah. Like, again, I'm struggling to talk about this movie without giving away the twist. I promise, podcast listener, we will give away the twist soon. It just feels disingenuous to just go at it at the top. But everything. But they were already they were very isolated, and it was like this isolated community. So there's a plane that she watches crash, and that leads her into the desert where you're not supposed to go to like the victory headquarters yeah the fact that they that plane doesn't come up like we don't find out was that a plane that was part of victory or bringing them something i mean or... nothing is by accident in this world that we we learn but it Sh- seems like it shouldn't have happened it's right should we just talk about it because i want to talk about the scares but like yeah. in order to talk about the scares you have to talk about why this is a thing at all yeah and i'm curious um to know your thoughts on a lot of it so the big twist in the end is you find out, and again, I, no offense, but I saw this coming from a mile away. As soon as this movie started, I was like, we're going to see a cell phone. Because no, it is not the 1960s. Everyone in the town of Victory has elected to be there. You find out that Florence no, Pugh... No, that's not true. I'm sorry, you're right. Let me let me backtrack. You find out that Florence Pugh was a doctor, a surgeon even, and a pretty successful one. Harry Styles actually did not seem to have a job. He was kind of your typical online too much kind of guy he had lost his job right he had had, lost his job was like a medical resident and had and like we hear her say i'll pick up more shifts right so she's kind of fully supporting as like the breadwinner and he's kind of struggling to find a job and he finds these tapes of chris pine talking or these videos or whatever of all his self-help guru bullshit (laughs) yeah and you know you find he's falling very into like internet culture and you learn that chris pine has developed some kind of simulation where, yeah, people can live in this idyllic town of victory during the day, but then all the men have to leave. Again, this is a simulation. Everything that's happening to Florence Pugh, I I guess we get the idea that she's laying in a bed in her, like, crappy apartment. With this, like clockwork orange type thing like keeping her eyes open and a projector showing certain like touchstones to keep her in this reality and so yeah so harry styles is kind of a loser he lost his job and then like fully develops into weirdo greasy loser like he looks greasy incel unshaved yeah and yeah he basically takes it upon himself to force the woman he loves into this life. So she is no longer working. He like decides, oh, well, you're miserable working all the time. So you can live this life in victory. And they don't exactly explain how, but he and all the other men leave every day. They go into the real world and they make money to keep them there at night. So almost all of the women are there, not only against their will, but they're not even aware that this is happening. Or and that they've lost all of their memory. Exactly. When Florence Pugh starts to put it together, they take her and they like make her undergo electroshock therapy. I couldn't tell if that was in the real world or and in I the simulation. <laughs> and so that's why I wanted to talk about this because everything that happens in the movie is happening within this computer simulation. Every scare, every pl- like plane crashing in the desert for no reason, everything, everything, everything is part of a computer simulation oh, that that's theoretically why. should be controllable by Chris Pine and the other people. But it's not. So why is all of this happening at all? No, I mean, like, the majority of the things that are happening, I think, are just, like, defects. But the plane is a is a weird I forgot that it was like a computer simulation like I remember that but I forgot that that wouldn't 
compute with the plane crashing because that's extra confusing. Right. Why is there a plane crashing? I did feel like like the things like the the eggs and stuff, I did feel like that was just, you know, if you have this whole virtual reality world, there are going to be bugs in the system. And I felt like maybe that was just a bug. A lot of the things that kept happening were like she was sort of having hallucinations. I do think that that's explained by the fact that like she's part of her regular self, like her real self is poking through and she's not jiving with what's happening to her. So it's like her trying to like break out of it and mm-hmm. her brain not being cool with what's happening. So that's what I assume was a lot of them. But the well, plane one, I'm like, what what, what the fuck? Not just the plane one. So I hear what you're saying. Throughout the movie, they really like to recycle the same shots. And what they're doing is they're recycling shots that are this projection that they're using to keep her Which in the Which is what she's actually seeing in her real body. So I get like the story element of it, but like as a viewer, like, God, do we see these scenes so many times. So she's in this simulation and then you see things like when she's dancing and the woman who before her sort of broke from the reality and started to question things. You see her start to like bash her head in the mirror and things like that. At one point, like there's a creepy shot where Florence Pugh is uh, taking a bath and her bath is like next to a mirror and she sort of sinks into the tub, but her reflection doesn't. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but like, who is that for? The hallucination thing, the woman before her mentioned, she's been having bad dreams. She's unable to sleep. She's been seeing things. And she speculates that this is them punishing her for going out of bed and discovering well, things no. she wasn't supposed to discover. So I'm like, is this scene at the ballet where she's getting scared? Are the eggs, are all of these things glitches in the Matrix? Or are they Chris Pine punishing her for being like an inquisitive woman? No, because the eggs happened before she breaks any of the rules, like Florence breaks any of the rules. Oh, you're right. And the woman, I think it is Margaret, she specifically says that her son is taken from her because she, she broke the rules. And then we do find out that the children actually aren't even real. So her son being taken from her yeah that is probably a punishment that they gave her I think the other stuff that's happening to her is she went into the the, when you go into the desert and you walk to the victory headquarters there's like a big mirror building thing yeah that if you touch it, it breaks you out of the simulation. And she must have touched it because she kind of talks to, she calls Florence after Florence does it. And she's like, hey, you touched it too? Weird. <laughs> and <laughs> It's fucked up, right? Yeah, and uh, and it takes you out of the simulation. And that's like when Florence starts to really have the, the problems. Like she sees the plane crash. She tries to go help whoever yeah. she thinks is in the plane. And that leads her to the area. And we're led to believe it's not such a, it's not a huge deal when a woman exits the, the simulation because Harry Styles or Kiki Lane's quote unquote husband are there to put them back. Well, it's a big deal because it's not, that's why they don't want them doing it. That's why they tell them it's forbidden. And like, they have all these warning signs saying that it's like poison and shit in the desert. Right. But what I mean is the the reason, yeah, the reason that no one in the town, the reason that she didn't escape permanently is because yeah, her husband is there in the real world, quote unquote, to put them back. And I guess this is where my big gripe with the movie comes in. Like an hour and a half of this movie is something ain't right in victory, something ain't right in victory. And then we get this explanation and it to me is so underwritten. What is actually, like how is Florence Pugh alive? What do people in her life think happened to her? Yeah. Where is, I mean, I thought the whole thing was that Harry Styles could not hold down a job. Where is he going every day? And they never answer these questions. Like, are the, is he work? Like he says, like, I have to go and earn the money to keep us here. But does that mean that he's working for Chris Pine? Like, you know, like that. Yeah. Is it something that Chris Pine wants them to do? They don't answer that. 
Or is he like, because he he's says certainly some, not working as a chef because he doesn't know that you have to boil fucking mashed yeah. potatoes before you mash them with a scotch bottle. And he says something to the effect of like, I won't tell you what I've been doing or how I've been earning the money, but it's like, are you selling your body on the streets? Like they don't, they yeah. don't tell us. It's weird. And they also, it's like, there's also like the biggest laziest bit of writing I remember too is, you know, in the end, Florence Pugh wakes up within the simulation and she understands what's happened. And her and Harry Styles have a pretty frank discussion that ends in him getting physical with her. And so she hits him with a glass and kills him. And then Olivia Wilde's character shows up and is like, oh, I've known about it all along. I want to be here because in here my kids are alive, Uh, which, you know, like, fine, that's not very feminist but fine that's what you choose to do but then she just offhandedly says you have to run if you die in in here you die in the real world and it's like why what like explain that to me i mean i i can i can believe that just because there, there is like that um if you die in your, I don't know if it's an urban legend or something where you, if you die in your dream, you die in real life. No, if you die in your dream, you wake up. I've been hit by trains in dreams. But you haven't. Ex- like, oh my God, am I dead? You've been hit by a train, but like you haven't experienced the act of dying. Like, like everyone tends to wake up when you're falling or when the train's about, like, it's not like you experience like my bones have been crushed oh, and my I heart see. is stopping, you know? Okay, I, so I want my the logic part of my brain wants to say that's never going to happen in a dream because you can only dream things you can theoretically experience. You can only see people you've seen before or they are faceless for that reason. But I get what you're saying in the urban legend aspect of it of, okay, well, well, the one time you do experience something in a dream you haven't experienced in life be the time you die. So well, that's... Also, like, maybe the... the, the Let dudes, that wrinkle your brain, listener. <laughs> well, maybe the dudes that work for Chris Pine will come and kill you in the real world. To, like, they could just kill your body, you know? You're you're laying there. But Florence Pugh is able to escape in the end, theoretically. They don't show us because the movie's terrified of writing itself. But uh, she's able to escape in the end. And the reason they're so desperate to catch her before she gets yeah. out of the simulation is because with Harry Styles dead... There is going to be no one in their apartment to put her back. Yeah. And then all she has to do is go to the cops. So it's, you know, I don't, I don't know. Again, this is, these are all these things where it's like, that's your movie right there, but you don't want to show us that. Olivia Wilde did a Q&A at the screening we were at. And the main thing she said about this movie was, this is a movie about questioning your narrative. And I get where that is part of Don't Worry Darling, but I also get... I also feel like you do need to flesh out the world then. Like, the movie can't just be about questioning the narrative and then, spoiler alert, the narrative's fucked up. That feels like baseline. I feel like we both anticipated that from the trailer. Your movie exists in this twist, and they seemed terrified to show us any aspect of it. Yeah, it, yeah, it was just that. I mean, that was sort of like I was sort of disappointed when the movie ended because I I did want to see, you know, and I guess maybe it would have been a little kind of an overdone sort of female revenge thing. But I did sort of want to see, like, is she going to wake up? And then because she asks, um, she finds out from Olivia Wilde that Olivia Wilde's in there on purpose, but that the other women don't know, you know, that they're as uh, clueless and like as helpless and, and as forced into everything as uh, Florence was so I wanted to know like is it going to be a thing where she gets to just go to the cops or is it going to be a thing where she then has to take down the system or help the other women escape you know like she she's already kind of like planted the seeds because like as she's like having her like breakdown when she needs to escape you can see the other women are like seeing her and sort of questioning like they're kind of like looking like mm. what the fuck's happening so I don't know if that was supposed to plant the seed that like oh they're gonna 
go through the same thing and kind of wake up too. This is like self imploding. But I don't know. I mean, like, I get leaving things like in a question. I do sometimes see where that can be more interesting. But that there was just that part of me that was like, but I do want to know what happens. Like, I guess as a woman, I was like, I want to know what happens to the other woman. Yeah, it's I love movies that like leave you on that kind of question that don't necessarily have to tell you the rest of the story. But that only works when I feel like you've made your point. And I don't feel like this movie made its point by the time it was done. I did think it made its point. I just think that the point has been done by other movies in better ways. And Mm -hmm. I do think like, you know, if you're going to be making the same point of like against the patriarchy, against like, you know, submissive women against um, or, you know, showing how afraid men are of women and women having power and men trying to suppress women, women, men trying, men idealizing this time when women had less agency or no agency because so many it's been done by so many different narratives and books and and movies and Handmaid's Tale and Stepford Wives and like it's been done so many times you do have to do it in a way that's so different and you have to do it in a way that says maybe says something different makes us think something differently just you know just brings something new nuanced whatever and unfortunately the movie just did not that was my biggest gripe with the movie the the main gripe I would have with the movie is that it did not it was very derivative and it did not do anything new yeah it sort of took these things that you've seen before did them again in a very beautiful pretty well shot way and then kind of took a bow and moon walked out of the room and I'm not not super impressed but you are touching on one thing I wanted to ask you because I was grappling with this and I feel like it's not mine to grapple with as like a straight white man. But the movie clearly had a lot of moments where it wanted to have these very feminist moments. These almost like, you know, like you go bad bitch kind of moments. Is that wrong to say? No, that's fine. Uh, like Florence, she sits at the table when Chris Pine is like kind of threatening her. She, you yeah, know, she pushes to the head of the table. Yeah, and that moment in the end too where she walks out into the cul-de-sac after killing Harry Styles and all the women in her like town sort of look at her and the men are trying to get them back inside and for the first time they're like no like they stop listening to their husbands and that's in that scene as well Chris Pine is it's a little later but Chris Pine is like trying to organize capturing Florence Pugh from his home and all of a sudden his wife just stabs him and says oh you stupid stupid man and she really like lets the word man sizzle and I'm kind of like I cl- and she says something to the effect of like You've had your time. Yeah, it's my time now. And it's like, they're trying to set up this kind of thing where, like, the women are going to inherit victory. Uh, But, like, you know, that's not really a win, in my opinion. They're still trapped. But I also just felt like it wanted to have these very feminist moments, these very feminist motifs. None of them felt earned. Like, uh, why in the world would her walking out covered in a bit of blood suddenly make the women start to think, oh, I think I'm in a simulation? Why would someone escaping the town make Chris Pine's wife think like, okay, now it's time to murder him and take over. All of these things just felt very like tell, don't show. Well, I don't fully, I mean, something that was confusing, like Gemma Chan was, uh, played Chris Pine's wife and it's not quite clear whether, it's never made clear whether she is in on it with him or just really, you know, one of the brainwashed wives who's like really bought into her husband. So he is being very cavalier with his language when Florence around his wife, when Florence is on the run, he's talking on the phone and he's not hiding much from her, I guess, but she's not hearing the other part of the conversation. Like she could just think like he's chasing after Florence because Florence is trying to escape and no one's allowed to escape. So when she stabs him at the end, it isn't clear whether it's like his wife is breaking free in the real world and 
that's why she's stabbing him in the simulation or if his wife has always known she's in the simulation and she's like well you fucked this up so time to stab you so that yeah that that moment was very unclear it felt to me like you just they felt the audience wouldn't be satisfied unless chris pine got his comeuppance yeah and so they tacked it on in the end i think it needed to be clear what her role in the situation was in order for that to be an earned moment and she also just didn't have too many scenes. And I think, yeah, that just, it, she just yeah. wasn't a very fleshed out character. I don't agree with you when it comes to her walking out covered in blood. It's very clear she's hurt her husband at the very least. I do think that that would make the other women be like, wait, what? Because first of all, it's well known that Margaret had like her break with the reality. Mm-hmm. And then to have a second woman having a break from reality and then very publicly walking out in this white dress covered in blood. She had just come back from treatment, was supposed to be cured and stuff. And to have something so abnormal in this like idyllic scenario, to have something so different happen, I do think would be like, oh, that doesn't compute and would kind of like start waking you up from the the simulation. So I I do think like that would kind of like create flaws in the system because it would be making you think, which nothing else in this entire thing makes the women think, you know? I guess, but the whole movie up until that point was a lot of Florence Pugh essentially just like shaking everyone around her being like, he, Chris Pine's lying. Something's happening in town. There's a lot of that. I, I guess I just don't get why her, the dinner party, for example, where she's just straight up saying what's on her mind, didn't achieve that goal. But walking out in the end after she's discovered everything did. And like the way it's shot, you do, it does seem to imply that the women are waking up from this simulation in a way. And like her explaining that, all of the couples in the town, for example, have the exact same love story. That doesn't move the needle an inch. But her walking out when the audience and she have discovered what the town really is, that starts to form cracks. And that's where I'm like, this doesn't track. I don't get this. Well, I, see, I don't agree with you because show don't tell, first of all. Show, show don't tell. So, like, she's telling them at the dinner table, like, hey, everybody has the same meet cute. Like, hey, have you noticed this? And so... Like, yeah, that's going to make you be like, what? But, like, it's different seeing somebody covered in blood coming out of her house. Like, that's going to break your, like, that's not part of the routine. Like, they're not reading books. They're not watching movies or anything interesting. This is a very stimulating thing that you're visibly seeing that's really fucked up, that's happening in front of you, that's happening in this neighborhood, that's amazing and perfect, and you're told everything's perfect and happy. And also, at the dinner table, the husbands are also still there to keep being like, don't listen to her, don't listen to her. Like, the husbands are still, like, able to have that level of control. Whereas, one of the... Like, they're trying to pull them away so they can't see her, but she's... They've already... She's... The women have already seen her with the blood, and... So the cat's out of the bag. Something's fucked up has happened. They can't control that the same way that they can be like, oh, no, honey, like, don't listen to her. She's just being PMSing and being a bitch, you know? I guess I think where we disagree maybe is that you said sort of her being like, hey, we all have the same meat cute. They're like, oh, wow, that's weird. And then seeing her with the blood and everything is like, oh, my God, this mind shattering thing has happened. I would say the reverse is true. I would say someone walking out of their house after a domestic dispute covered in blood is, you know, holy shit, that's fucked up. But someone saying everyone in this town has the exact same love story. That to me is like that breaks my mind. Like, hold on. She's on to something. Something fucked up is happening. I just. But they're all dulled. They're not having intellectual stimulation. They're not 
like really using their brains very much. So like they're all just like la 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 floating through life. You cannot ignore somebody coming near. There's no more la 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 floating through life when somebody is covered in blood next to you. That's so shocking and that's not supposed to happen in that neighborhood. Nobody can explain that away and be like, oh, she's just PMSing. Like, no, that's not PMS. Like, no, that's not her being a bitch. She's covered in blood. I guess, but there were so many moments where it was just like, oh, well, she's not well. She's not taking her medicine. Margaret wasn't well. Like, we see Margaret stand on her roof and cut her throat, and the party line around town was like, oh, well, she slipped while cleaning. She's fine. Uh, But, you know, her husband got fired so that he could properly take care of her and all of this stuff. And I don't know, the moment just didn't feel earned. It felt like the audience was aware of what was going on. And then it was time for them to have this shot where the women sort of wake up and it didn't work for me. The movie also did like a weird thing a lot of times too, where it was very guilty of like using tricks to tell the audience what to feel. If you watch Don't Worry Darling, every time something like uncomfortable or fucked up starts to happen, they'll play like the sound of bees or they'll heighten violin music and make it really fast. Like they really use so like audio cues to let you know, like this is a, this is a fucked up scene. But but to be fair, Every movie does that. Like, that's that's part of filmmaking. It just felt more noticeable in this movie. I think it me. was just because each scene was so similar yeah. versus like, like if you watch a movie like Get Out, Get Out has a similar narrative in that like he starts to notice like shit is fucked up and this is like he needs to get out. But each instance that he has is is different. It's obviously all in service of the same thing of like, the, the end reveal of Get Out, but each one is like... Oh, I just like, got it, that title. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but each one is like, you know, there's one done at, at a party. There's there's just like, we you know, a weird um, interaction with the brother at dinner. So it's like they're each different. Like, it, and, and they have the luxury in Get Out of like, it feels like some of it's just racism and then it turns out like, oh, it's actually something way more sinister than racism. Yeah. It, it, which you would not necessarily think that there's much more sinister things, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm being too hard on the movie in that regard, but I do think I agree with you in that I, it's easy to start dissecting the little things when everything is just, when you're seeing the same thing again and again and again. Yeah, it's just like each one wasn't done. Like, yeah, like the same way that like, Get Out does things so differently and, and it's, uh really builds on itself so well. This one, it did just feel like each time it was, it could have been interchangeable with the last. Like the eggs could have been interchangeable with, yeah. you know, like another moment of her being like, hey, this feels off. Like they just didn't feel like they were each telling us something new about what was happening. It was just like, oh, something's weird. Yes. Oh, something's weird. Whereas it wasn't like, hey, something new is happening and we've learned a bigger piece of the puzzle. That didn't happen. Like, it was just constantly like, but after the first one, we know something's weird. So yes. you need to tell us something new about the weirdness or do it in a newer, interesting way and not just have it be like, well, today it was the eggs were weird. Like, tomorrow, you know, like... Ballet practice is going to be weird. Yeah. Yeah. I I 100% agree. That is my gripe with this movie is that, yeah, they establish like 10 minutes in something ain't right. And then the whole movie is predicated on what is the answer to the question? What isn't right here? And then exactly what you said. They just kept pushing that needle and pushing that needle. And it, it was like this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And good writing is this happened because of that this happened because of that this happened and then is never how you want to string scenes together and this whole movie felt like 
a lot of pretty well shot things that Olivia Wilde and the writers wanted to show, wanted to build, and the story that weaves them all together was just sort of an afterthought. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like there were definitely interesting shots. Like, uh, I really liked, I think it must have been the first, when she touches the weird mirror thing that, like, takes you out of the simulation. Mm-hmm. And it goes, and it we have a zoom in on her eye, and then her eye kind of changes to this group of, like, synchronized swimmer-dressed women who are doing this um, dance that's in the shape of a pupil. That, that it was not her eye. I believe that eye and the blood splatter and the dance was part of the projection that she's forced to look at that somehow hypnotizes her and keeps her in this scenario. No, I know the dance was part of that and the blood splatter. I think that was I her think, eye. I think the eye was part of it, but we can... I don't know. I don't reasonable think it, people can disagree. I don't think it was because I think we're zooming in to see her eye and then that's her eye in the real world. And we're seeing what her eye is seeing in the oh, real maybe, world. maybe. Because I think right. it was actually Florence Pugh's eye. I, I kind of assumed it was Chris Pine's eye. No, because it looked like her eye. And then I th- and I think that's I'll save the podcast listener me like frantically googling. <laughs> it was a blue eye, so you you do the math. It's very pretty. I thought Florence Blue had brown. Now I'm no, thinking Chris no, Pine has brown. I don't eye. think she does. Uh, again, we're not going to Google very this. Very pretty eye with lots of vibrant color. And then seeing, <laughs> but the the way that that dance was done, it looked like a pupil. Like it had like the yeah. the complexity of what a pupil looks like, the different like textures and everything. It was really beautifully done, and I could tell that. Olivia Wilde, like even like the producer at the Q&A was talking about how she was very like relentless and in, in wanting certain things perfectly and she wouldn't mm-hmm. give up until she had things perfectly. And I feel like this was an, an example of where she must have been really meticulous about it. And, and it pulls the shot off beautifully. But unfortunately, you can be meticulous and pull off really beautiful shots. But you have to be when you're a director, you have to be worried about the entire movie. And if you don't have the the pieces to artfully put together the movie, you can have all the beautiful shots you want, but the movie as a whole is just, people are going to remember it was pretty, but they're not going to enjoy the movie or they're not going to think it was as artful as you think it is. Agreed. I think many scenes in this movie will be or could be discussed in like a film school setting. And frankly, they ought to be. They were very, very good. But like you're saying... It was all in service of, I'm just going to say nothing. Yeah, you have to be very focused on the big... Like, it's it's hard being a director. You have to be very focused on the big picture. And unfortunately, you can lose the big picture in a lot of being worried about pulling off these really complicated exact shots. And I think it's just... Some filmmakers have it immediately. Some filmmakers take a lot longer to just have the practice to be aware of all of the things they need to be aware of. And I think maybe she needs to... You know, maybe with practice, she will be that kind of filmmaker. I just didn't, you know, we don't see that yet in this movie. But it's like, you know, things like uh, there's a scene where Florence is already like kind of losing her mind and they go to this like big party and Harry Styles gets promoted (laughs) at the party. I want to talk about this for decades. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. So he gets promoted at the party and like once he gets pulled up on stage to promote, to be promoted by Chris Pine, Chris Pine like takes his coat off and then... Takes Harry Styles' coat yeah, off. Yeah, takes Harry Styles' coat off. Like, he's like, here, take this off. And meanwhile, Florence Pugh goes to the bathroom and cries because she's been trying to get him to take her home because she doesn't feel right there because Chris Pine's fucking staring at her weirdly and so is the doctor in the town. Well, And when he invites him on stage, he invites them to be part of their, like, senior board of directors. So this moment symbolizes Harry Styles getting further into the victory community while Florence Pugh is, like, trying to pull them out. So she has a bit of a breakdown. And then, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And so then... 
it's it's weird when he's like here take this off and takes off his coat and then because we're switching back and forth between like Florence in the bathroom and the state was happening on the stage with Harry it's not quite clear how this ends up happening but Harry Styles ends up just like doing this tap dance which is very good while Chris Pine is like shouting like you want to see him dance you want to see him dance so it's not like clear how it really if he's like now dance for us or something but so yeah he starts doing this dance and what I did think was interesting about it is that like the movements that Harry Styles is doing, it's very, he very much looks like a puppet. Like he's very much doing like a marionette sort of like floppy, but also kind of wooden, like interesting tap dance where the movements look like somebody is on like a marionette strings. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was, that was cool, but also like somewhat too over the, like I was like, I was torn between like, I, I think this is cool, but like also so just like ah get it puppet ah like yeah I feel like if it hadn't been so like and here's a weird thing and here's a weird thing maybe I would have I wouldn't be having like a tornness of where like I appreciate the artfulness of it but also like it felt like so in your face of like here's the puppet and it's like we get it and they're trying to do like these very like old school Twilight Zony things where they create a sense of panic by it's a lot of quick shots and what's happening in these shots is like you have a woman hysterically crying you have a man like frantically dancing it tried to invoke this moment of panic but then it was very easy to take a step back from that and just go wait what is happening and why is it happening like not in an interesting way not in a way where i'm caught up in this this bacchanal the bacchanal they're doing i can't pronounce that bacchanal they're doing Uh, i shouldn't have tried it but not in a way that I'm caught up in a way of where I'm like, all right, like now someone really needs to explain themselves in this movie. And it is, it, because, it's weird that people are cheering, you know, like, cause like even in a weird simulation, it's, it should still be strange that at this, this party's turned into you watching your friend while people are screaming dance. And know? everyone's <laughs> loving it. And again, this is the other thing that baffled me. Harry Styles is not part of the simulation. Harry Styles leaves he's every in day. in the simulation, but he knows what's going on. Exactly. He leaves every day and goes into the real world to do work that he says he hates so that he can pay Chris Pine to keep them there. So why is he so excited to be part of the senior board? What does it mean to him? And why in the world is he a dancing monkey for Chris Pine? He definitely not, I guess, worships him because, yeah, he likes this whole self-help moving into the future. He likes the society that he's created, but... What is Harry Styles getting out of this? It's another thing that when the twist happens, they just don't explain it. So what's left is this very confusing and baffling scene. That's true, because like, yeah, we we don't know if it means like he doesn't have to work as hard to pay for it or if he, yeah, or if he is working for Chris Pine in the real world and this is a better job. Like, we just don't know. Yeah, anything about that. So it is confusing. Is he just excited that like his idol, because like he's supposed to be kind of like this QAnon misogyny, like Chris Pine is supposed to be like this, like one of those sort of like QAnon misogyny, like figures that like. Not like QAnon, more like incel, not to, not to split hairs over our radical right wing you know what I mean? <laughs> internet like, bullshit. One of these people that everyone starts like falling for all of his bullshit yeah. of like saying like where he's brainwashing you, which is what I mean by QAnon, like. 
Oh, I see. Like the brainwashing, creating this insane narrative and people are just blindly following even though it's insane. He's like supposed to be one of those sort of like guru-y cult master guys. Mm -hmm. So is the ultimate thing like you're just getting this validation from him? Like that also could have been it, you know? Like, oh my God, I'm getting validation from like my messiah figure cult leader dude. So now I'll dance for him. I guess it's just like you're saying the metaphor that he is a puppet dancing for Chris Pine is like, okay, I get that. What what is being a puppet to Chris Pine mean in this context? Though? Yeah, I think that is part of what doesn't like it's like so interesting. And I liked the dance moves. But yeah, right in Styles' wheelhouse is just dancing on a stage. Like, yeah, it was, he was. Yeah, it was great in that moment. And I do get the the attempt of like intersplicing it with Florence is having the breakdown while he's getting more bought in than he ever has, and he's showing that he's a puppet. And it's like building and building. She's hysterical. It's it's building to where she's at her breaking point, and he's building to like this different sort of uh, climax of it but yeah without some of those answers it doesn't it it doesn't do the same it doesn't do what I think was intended yeah (laughs) another part I want to discuss before we move on to our next I actually have one more question for you and but I want to discuss this part first uh the dinner party this was arguably the part where after at long last I felt like okay we're moving the needle we're moving forward after this dance happens Chris Pine Allow, like gives him gives Harry Styles and Florence Pugh the honor of gracing them at their home for a dinner party. And there's a moment where Florence Pugh's in the kitchen making things. She's sort of in a weird place with everything that's going on. She's kind of resigned a little bit to kind of be like, maybe this is all in my head. Like maybe. I don't think she's resigned. I think that she's trying to just get everyone at the house. So she has to play the part of like happy housewife in order to make the night happen. I guess. But either way, it's like you're lulled into she's playing ball for the night. And that's when Chris Pine like kind of goes to the kitchen alone with her and kind of lays out the game. He's like, I like I know what you did. I know what you've been thinking. I know you've been experiencing these hallucinations, almost essentially saying, like, I know because I caused them. And he really like has this sinister moment where he talks to her like a person like like, he he says he says I waited I've been waiting for you somebody to challenge me yeah like no great man has ever achieved greatness without someone challenging them and I think like basically commends her and then they sit down for a dinner party and she just like explodes with truth and just starts calling him out and it just keeps not working and he keeps doing his whole thing of like you know the doctor prescribed you medicine I'm sorry you're unwell and I wanted to know what you thought about that scene specifically why he would do that to a paying customer <laughs> like I, it all comes back to the simulation for me what is Chris Pine getting out of furthering this narrative where Florence Pugh is waking up I think that came from misogyny I think because he ends the interaction by being like and yet here you are being a good girl in the kitchen mm. I think that he is taunting her and I think he thinks that she's never going to get out of it. And I think he enjoys kind of having that torturing moment with her where it's like she's still under his control. She's still completely helpless in a lot of ways. She's physically helpless in her body and she's stuck in the simulation. And I think he's trying to even show her like even by telling somebody like, thank you for, you know, for challenging me. You're taking away their power and being like, I like this. Like, you know, he's the whole time he's like being it's about him. He's like, I like this. You all you're doing is making me better i'm gonna be better because of what you're doing like the the most important and dangerous thing in your life 
is part of my game and I'm winning. Well, and, and not only that, but like everything you're doing, all of the stuff that you feel like you're doing to help yourself, it's only making it worse for you because you're making me better. Like he's just uh. like, it's all about him and he's winning and he's telling her how he's winning because he's smart enough to know that she's pretending that something's happening to her and that she's not actually like all content and everything. So he's going to go in and tell her like, you're not fooling me because he can't let her win. So that's why he kind of like is like, I know the game. I'm going to let you know I'm intelligent. You're not fooling me, little woman. But he still also has to let her know like, I'm winning. And also like, see, you're still in the kitchen being a good little girl. Yeah. Okay. I forgot that's how the scene, the interaction ends. But so then we fast forward to dinner. And this is one of the last questions I have for you because I'm very interested to know. It was hard watching this movie because I was spending the whole time being like, I really need a woman's perspective. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm a man in victory right now and I need to get a woman's perspective. Florence Pugh spends so much of this time doing the, the basically the Twilight Zone thing. There it is again, drink, where what we learned from the Twilight Zone is the quickest way to get someone to not believe you is to shake their shoulders and use the phrase, I tell ya. And she's doing that. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy, I tell ya. I've worked here for 40 years. It's me. And then at the dinner party is kind of the epitome of that. She really just like sits at the head of the table, really challenges Chris Pine, lays it all out, tries to get him in a gotcha moment, and it just doesn't work. They just don't believe her. And I wanted to ask you, it seems from my point or from what I saw, Florence Pugh doesn't learn the truth, but she learns something's off in victory and then just starts questioning everything out loud, every chance she gets, regardless of her audience. That clearly isn't the move as we see in the movie. And I wanted to ask, what would you do? Well, so I did like the way that she presents everything. She does it in a way of like she makes the other people kind of intellectually come to her in the sense of like she asks the couples like how did you meet and then where they're from and she finishes their sentences or says like that's also how you met and like points to like one of the other couples and makes them make those connections for themselves which I think is intelligent Mm -hmm. and she does it very calm cool and collected which I think is always really important and interesting to see from a woman because it's so easy to be like ah she's hysterical this girl's hysterical but if she's doing it calm cool and collected it's so much harder to be like hysteria female hysteria mm. which is still the thing he goes to and he successfully really, unfortunately and he works like chris pine works really hard to make her break so that he can be like ah see and like he pushes her to where she really wants to throttle him and wants to scream in his face and she's like once he leaves the room she has this like ah sort of moment and just like takes like a big sip of martini so i do i like the tactic of making people make those connections for themselves. And I think maybe that is what I would have tried to do from the beginning because too often in these kinds of movies and she does it too, where she tries to just like be like, hey, this is is what happens. And like she tells Olivia Wilde, who's been like so rude about Margaret and like so gross about Margaret. And she outright tells her like, listen, I did the same thing as her. And now I'm having the same things happening to me. She puts too much trust in like that friendship instead of trying to even trick her to, having experience that will like break her free of the simulation or just like make her make those connections herself and I think that is the better I mean like you can see why somebody would do that they're in a really desperate situation they're not necessarily thinking that clearly and they're very confused but it is better to kind of make other people bring themselves to the scenario or to the situation you're in versus like you know when you are trying to be like hey your whole life is bullshit like people are gonna fight that 
Yeah. And I feel like there was a lot of that, a lot of her just, I do like what you're saying of trying to get, trying to get people to come to this decision on their own or come to this realization on their own. Yeah, bring, present the facts and then they can have to put it, they have to put it together in their head. Exactly. I think her flaw was that she was doing it regardless of her audience. She was doing it like at the mall. She was doing it at the pool. She was doing it to Chris Pine. She was doing it at the party, doing it to Harry Styles in private, Harry Styles in public, just always trying to just shout truth, 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 which feels like the noble thing to do, which feels like the valiant thing to do. But this was a chess game and she was just kind of flipping the board. And she figures out it's just by that interaction with Chris Pine and then tries to play chess with him at the table. Yeah. Which did make it one of the better scenes in the movie. Agreed. My favorite scene for sure. Yeah. But because the movie's kind of disjointed, it doesn't necessarily fit very, you know, it is kind of just like, oh, this is this is another scene. You know, like it doesn't like it, it didn't necessarily flow as part of her journey as smoothly. Like Florence does a great job of like making things flow as much as she can. But yes. she can't always like compensate for the movie. I think the movie would be not nearly as watchable without her. <laughs> I agree. Uh, so I just sort of gave away the game a little bit, but I think maybe now's a good time to move on to our next segment, which is our favorite best sexiest moment from Don't Worry Darling. So I'll go with, I think I'll give you favorite and I'll give you sexiest. So I'll start with maybe sexiest. Boom, hit me. There were like, actually, what I did like about the sex scenes in this movie, and I think, you know, a lot of the publicity, especially like Olivia Wilde, a lot of the publicity that she's she's um, kind of cultivated has been about sort of like the female forward sex positivity of the sex scenes. Specifically, like when he comes home early on in the movie before anything's gone bad. And it's clear that they have this- hey, no. <laughs> don't, don't tell me what to say. I'm joking. Um, but so they're still madly in love. We always hear how Alice and Jack are only have time for each other. And he comes home. She's cooked him this great meal. And then like he just goes to town on her vagina on the, on the well kitchen table. Like he just like he goes down on her. And I do appreciate seeing like very rarely growing up would you see like female pleasure it was always like people would get horned up they'd start hooking up and then it was clear it was immediate penetration and the woman was loving it when that's not really how sex works in real life so it is better to see like so many more movies and tv shows and everything are showing like foreplay is a thing and that's actually what most women enjoy the most and like penetration isn't the be all and end all so i do like seeing like a sex scene where was there any penetration in this movie no i think he may have been like fingerly penetrating I guess yeah like intercourse like sex I should say because we you know the other sex scene that we really see is also somewhat early on in the movie when they start hooking up at Chris Pine's house when they go to like a celebration party afternoon party at Chris Pine's house I did find this one weirder in that like so they start hooking up and she's like oh you know anyone could walk in and then she can see Chris Pine has walked in and she doesn't stop Harry Styles from like I think he's fingering her yeah and she doesn't stop him from doing that and just makes eye contact and holds eye contact with Chris Pine who like smiles at her and then is like shh and then like walks away and that's like it was weird because she doesn't know yet that that things are like fucked up so it's weird that she doesn't tell her husband like oh my god stop yeah and that she holds the eye contact while she's like having orgasming moments I like didn't get that at all because he brings it up later as like a sign that she's been going crazy and it's like I don't know dude you kind of just admitted to watching them having sex yeah I feel like you didn't do either of you a, a, a good moment here. yeah that so that was I appreciated that both of those scenes were very much about her pleasure the second one had that weird aspect of like but wait why is she not stopping it it felt like they were teeing up like chris pine like enjoying the women sexually or like 
having an affair with her, but no, just... It was just weird. Just weird. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't quite sure what that part was about. But the, the sexual aspects of both of those were very sexy, and I appreciated that. I thought they were well-done sex scenes. There's not, like, nudity from her. We see, like, maybe the side of her lady parts when he takes her underwear off and, like, lifts, lifts up her skirt. But, yeah, we really don't see nudity from her. Mm-hmm. I appreciate there's not, a, like, a gratuitousness to, like, so so often we just have our, our actresses, like, have to just get nude and, and yeah. be fully exposed. And, like, I, I appreciate not having to see that. The most gratuitous sort of scene you saw was when he is going down on her. Uh, you don't see anything, but you do wa- you they do hold it in on her as she's, like, really enjoying this. It's happening on the kitchen or the dining room table, and she's, like, knocking place settings off. And we, we talked about this before we started recording recording she's knocking over like plates and things and all of that and it's like well wait why did she set like eight places for a table for two where two people are gonna eat i yeah, didn't it was understand a meal for two people it's like they were there just so she could knock them off in a fit of ecstasy but also like the last place sitting that she knocks down it seemed like she did that just because like the first couple ones she needed some space to like lay down that one she just knocks it down and it's like hey you have enough room to kind of like move around and enjoy this why are you just knocking down the last like you don't have to knock that one down that's passion no she had enough room for the passion <laughs> i that, love, that I love this about you i love how like you're like she's making a mess she doesn't need to. no like it oh it, it almost takes it almost as if she t- took herself out of the passionate moment to be like ah, i'm knocking over this last plate you know yeah. like the other ones seemed like they were done in a fit of ecstasy that one seemed like she did it because like she was like fuck these plates you know like it was like yeah i have to have all of them off the table yeah that was definitely it was definitely the sex scenes were steamy and they were that was maybe the one area where like you were saying i was seeing something i don't typically see every time i go to the movies but you know it's not a porn for me my favorite scene it was definitely the Chris Pine dinner party scene if for no other reason than the fact that like after so long something was finally happening we were moving our plot forward a little bit but in the interest of saying something new for the sake of this segment I think one of the other scenes I really liked was when we do spend a little bit of time in the real world where we see Harry Styles sort of like slowly getting bought into this whole thing because in a movie that hangs its hat so much on this twist on the answer to this question of what's fucked up in victory i did like seeing that slow descent and getting those answers i guess i'm noticing that my two favorite parts were ones where like yeah the plot was finally moving forward yeah but i did think it was uh well done i liked that this very bright vibrant colorful movie suddenly became kind of gray when we're in the real world to establish this but yeah that was that was probably one of my favorites uh as well i would say like my my favorite was like potentially the shot of like the dancer, like the eyeball to the dancers. Like that was a, yeah. just so well shot that I was like, this must have like as somebody that like works behind the scenes of like film and television, that annoying part of me like kicks in where I'm like, this had to have taken so long. Like, and I just like, I just appreciate the work that it took, the lighting, the choreography, like how many, like the place where the camera needs to go, the color like of the black and white, like the shadowing, everything had to have taken so long and it was very well done. I really appreciated something that well done. Agreed. Now I do want to move on to trivia because I don't want to get too far away from what we were talking about with the female pleasure being depicted in the sex scenes, Mm -hmm. because that's actually a big part of some of the trivia I brought. So I'll jump right into that. Much was made by Olivia Wilde, I think two or three separate interviews where she made a lot of headlines and a lot of hay about talking about how, yeah, this is a very female 
centric sex scenes. There are sex scenes in this movie and they're all about her pleasure and a lot was made of that. But unfortunately that seemed to maybe not rub Florence Pugh the wrong way, but she certainly had something to say about it where in an interview, I'll read the quote, but essentially she said, look, like this is not a movie about a woman who has a lot of like sex with a guy who actually gives a shit about her. There's more to this movie. I would argue there's maybe not, but she, I do appreciate her stumping for her own performance and all of this and essentially saying like, hey, director, stop reducing your own movie. The full quote I will read now, this was given to Harper's Bazaar. She said, when it's reduced to your sex scenes or to watch the most famous man in the world go down on someone, it's not why we do it. It's not why I'm in this industry. Obviously the nature of hiring the most famous pop star in the world, you're going to have conversations like that. That's just not what I'm going to be discussing, parentheses, this movie, is bigger and better than that. And the people who made it are bigger and better than that. And I kind of really liked Florence Pugh in that moment of kind of being like, this is like, this is not, if you're going to watch this movie because it's like, oh yeah, Harry Styles is going to be doing sex scenes. Like they worked too hard for everyone to just talk about those couple scenes. Now, I didn't like the movie, but I do like that sentiment of like, don't. I also just think like as a as a woman and as an actress, somebody in the public eye, she has to deal with people constantly staring at her body, constantly making comments about her body. And she is a very talented actress. She's an Oscar nominated actress. And I think she has every right to be like, listen, like it's awkward to be in an interview. And this is the only industry where like people are going to start asking you about you making your O face, you know, like it's so like people forget that that's an odd, like, yeah, when she filmed it, it was probably a close set. It's very intimate. And then suddenly you're on like the today show and people are like, so you have a really sexy scene. And that's, that's uncomfortable. And like, it's weird that people want to focus so much on that. And especially when she seems uncomfortable and she's an actress, she's saying like, I do work. Can I talk about my work and not talk about like the sensationalism, the sort of like aspects of it. And I appreciate that maybe not the today show they're lovely but yeah no i just mean like you know it's weird <laughs> no i hear you and uh i understand too a lot of a lot of headlines were made about how florence wasn't going to be doing press for this movie and you know it's like oh well just is that signs of strife with olivia wilde and unless the strife was that she really didn't appreciate how much her director was making headlines about her movie being about these sex scenes with Harry Styles, I do think maybe she was just trying to avoid exactly what you just said of like, talk to me about the intimate moments because yeah, that's just watch the movie. If you want to say her parts of her performance in this movie, which again, I didn't really care for this movie. She's so good. And parts of her performance that deserve to be dissected. Her O face is like way at the bottom of that list. Yeah. Still talented, sure. Moving on to other trivia. One of the other things was Wilde wanted to play the lead in this movie originally, but when she saw Florence in Midsummer, she apparently was like, oh no, I'll do that and just play a supporting role. Another Kiki Lane actually replaced one of Allie's favorite actresses. Uh, Kiki Lane being the Margaret who discovered everything beforehand, was the catalyst for the whole thing. She was a replacement uh, for Dakota Johnson, who dropped out (laughs) after scheduling conflicts. She's, She's not one of my favorite actresses. I, I don't love that nepotism runs wild in casting all the time, so I, I've I've made that clear. I don't hate Dakota Johnson or anything. I just think that she's had a, a quite a leg up. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I apologize for putting you in the position of having to explain your Dakota Johnson position. This was one of the things we learned at the Q&A, but uh, we can talk about it a little bit. Victory Corporation, the end zone where she had to run in the end to sort of get out of the simulation, uh, that is actually the iconic Volcano House in the Mojave Desert. It's a community of Newberry Springs, California, 
where this town is actually really preserved to look just like this. So you can actually go and visit that cul-de-sac, and apparently there's a ton of cul-de-sacs just like it. The house was previously owned by PBS television personality Huel Hauser, who donated the home to Chapman University in 2012, shortly before he died. And then finally, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the behind-the-scenes drama happening with Don't Worry Darling. A lot of times in these movies, we talked about this in our last episode with The Boy Next Door, some of this happens just so that people will go see the movie. And Sometimes it's engineered. I don't know if that's what's happening here, but it is interesting. So I'm going to give it a light dusting because... Frankly, there's a lot of he said, she said in this, and I don't feel comfortable taking a side. But one of the big things that happened with this movie was Shia LaBeouf was originally cast in Harry Styles' role. Harry Styles, I think, did an adequate job. He, I understand a lot of people are going to see this movie just because Harry Styles is in it. But I don't think he was anything to write home about. But at the same time, he was not bad by any stretch of the imagination. I I think he's got a good career ahead of him. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually think he showed great potential. I Mm -hmm. don't think he was earth shattering or anything like that. And I think it's a little, you know, hard to see people getting roles when they don't really have the resume for it. But I think he actually showed that he's willing to like really commit and that he's like a charming person on screen. And that I think he, I think he actually will be a really good actor eventually. I think he's, he has the potential for it. Yeah. He would have to put in a lot of work that perhaps his pop stardom does not allow, but he's not, he's not without talent. Yeah. But he was also not like, I wouldn't be nominating him for anything for this movie. Yeah. But I think you put it best potential. LaBeouf claims he exited the movie, whereas Olivia Wilde claims she fired him as part of her, quote, no assholes policy. Where I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle is that Shia LaBeouf has a process of acting that is very heightened and can make a lot of people uncomfortable. Rumor has it, it made Florence Pugh uncomfortable. And this was all pre-production. He claimed in an email to Olivia Wilde that the he left the movie and was not fired because he couldn't find time to rehearse with uh, Florence and the other now, there, he, there wasn't sufficient time exactly. built into the schedule. And then Olivia Wilde did a bunch of interviews where she was like, yeah, that I, it's my job to protect my cast. And he had a style that was just not conducive and really made it sound like he was weird on set. So she gave him the axe. And then he came forward with some receipts to Variety where Olivia was trying really hard to keep him in the movie, you know, mentioning possibly like degrading things about Florence Pugh. And, you know, it was just a big whole mess. And I will hand it to LaBeouf, who wrote an email essentially saying like, I understand that this is an, a lucrative narrative to push, that you fired me because I was a bad guy. He has admitted in recent months that, yeah, he was very much a bad guy. I'm not For gonna many get years. It, for many years to a lot of people who have a lot of legitimate gripes with him. And he said, but look, I, I can bear those crimes. It's my, those are mine to bear. The narrative that I was fired is just not truthful. So someday, like my daughter's going to read a lot of bad things about me that I have to answer for. It's annoying that I have to answer for something that is not true, which, you know, if true, I do get and I do respect and I think is well articulated. Moving on, because we're at the tip of the iceberg with this drama. You know, obviously one of the big things is Olivia Wilde split shortly before the production of this movie with Ted Lasso star Jason Sudeikis. And during a screening at CinemaCon, she was served legal papers while on stage introducing the movie. Uh, Sudeikis has come forward and said, you know, I didn't obviously I didn't plan that. I was not trying to embarrass her. Some people believe him. Some people believe her. It's, you know, again, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. She had some unkind things to say about him, too. Yes. But again, I also like 
Even Who if knows? He, even mean, if he was that vindictive, like that's there's yes, he's at least smart enough to know that's not going to look good for him. She began dating Styles after they got to know each other working on this movie. And there's a rumor that that's one of the reasons that maybe Florence and her didn't have the greatest relationship because there's rumors that it distracted Olivia Wilde or that it was uncomfortable seeing them be so lovey-dovey on set. And then she'd have to do like a scene with the guy she just saw her director be lovey-dovey with. So I, I don't know if that's true, but I remember reading about that. Yeah. And according to people, like people had a source that was like, oh, well, you know, they it was just apparent how much chemistry they had on screen. So naturally it carried over to off screen. And I'm like, did they share the screen for like alone really at did. all yeah. ever? There was like one scene where she's like, oh, the boys are playing golf. You should go. And that was it. So I don't know about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about the spitting incident at the Venice Film Festival. A video was going around for a while where Harry Styles arrives to the screening and appears to spit in Chris Pine's lap. And Chris Pine appears to react as though someone just spit in his lap very graciously, much more than I would. Pine's reps have come forward to every outlet who's reported on it and have said, no, that didn't happen. But as for what is happening in that video, still a mystery. The official party line across the board with all of this drama circulating other than between Wilde and LaBeouf, is that everyone had a great time working on this movie, everyone respected each other, there's no bad blood, and they're really happy and chill with each other. So, okay, I'm not going to dive into it further. I don't think anyone should dive into it further. I think maybe a lot of people want you to dive into it further so that you're more excited to see Don't Worry Darling. But that, I think, leads us to our final segment of the podcast, which is... Do you think people should see this movie? Do you recommend this uh, movie? Well, so... And I'm going to put it to my wife. I uh, I didn't hate the movie. And I think Florence Pugh... So Florence Pugh is really Have great. a better last name, Florence. No, it's difficult. You shut up. <laughs> don't tell a woman what to do. We should learn her name. Specifically, don't tell her to yeah, have a different exactly. name. Exactly. We should be learning her name. So... I did. It's Pugh, like a laser. I think... I think she's really great in it. I actually think Chris Pine is really great for mm. like the limited role that he had. I think he does a great job. Overall, I think watch it on streaming. I don't think go into it with the high expectations that unfortunately like a lot of us did because the trailer was was good and, mm -hmm. and having, you know, good actors in your movie also does that. So with that, but there's like this movie commits a couple. I want to just mention a couple of the sins that I hate from movies. That, so one is that we learn a lot of the backstory of like what or like the big twist and the backstory of the big twist from like kind of like Florence has her break in the simulation. And then we start to flash back to like her being uh, her, to her previous life of like her being a doctor. But then we also start to see things that she could not possibly have been present for. Mm. And when you do it from her perspective of doing uh, of like coming into a flashback then you start showing things that she wasn't present for while we need that information of the like the stuff harry styles was doing on his own she could not possibly have witnessed it so it's it's kind of artless and and it's like a it's, it's taking away from the film technique that you're using and it's disjointed so you need to you need to find a way to do your either it's a flashback or it's either it's a flashback from her perspective and we're using her to take us back or it's a flashback 
from his perspective like you know like you need to have that be cohesive otherwise it it, it does it that annoys me i just I love that annoying. i didn't notice that and you're i hate that too yeah because it's a it's a great part because you're finally getting answers but it bugs me when your entryway is somebody's flashback but then we go to another flashback that they're not present for so you're so have smart. we just hopped flashbacks and if i'm thinking correctly with the exception of harry styles dancing at that like big party was any of the movie like not from her perspective it's mostly from her perspective. I can't think of another scene, but... Yeah. What's the other? I'm sorry. You see, you've got a list here. The other one is... Uh, so at the Q&A, they talked about... Like, the the screenwriter and Olivia Wilde talked a lot about how one of the most important things to them was, like, they sat together and they did so much character building because they didn't think that the movie was going to work unless they did all of the fleshing out of the characters. And to me, what was so funny for them talking about that was that I thought some of the weakest parts of the movie was that the characters, even the one that were with Florence, or Alice so many of them are just not even fleshed out like she's fleshed out just because we spend the most time with her but even so we don't really get her doing a lot of different things we kind of just get her doing the same thing over and over again so we're not really fleshing her out and like Harry Styles's character is not fleshed out at all Mm -hmm. we like get like just snippets everybody like Chris Pine we barely get that much time with him he does one thing just be creepy weirdo Gemma Chan is doing like one thing that's why we don't know what her motivation is at the end so the characters were not fleshed out so they're here that they focused so much on that and spent so much time and were hanging a big hat on that I found that a little frustrating because I was just like this was not this was maybe the weakest part of the movie the the characters were it's infuriating because you're absolutely right the characters were not fleshed out but at the same time they're incredibly complicated Harry Styles journey of like coming to and accepting this is complicated we just don't get to see it Chris Pine's philosophy on the world and how he came to develop this is complicated. We just don't get to see it. Gemma Chan deciding to murder her husband is complicated, but it's not fleshed out. It's not character work. So it ends up just being... we don't know where it's coming from. It ends up just being these head-scratching scenes in the ends. Exactly. Yeah. So those were two things I found frustrating. That being said, I think you can watch it on streaming and... But... At, at the end of the day, like, I love Stepford Wives. Like, I love the movie Stepford Wives. I think that is top to bottom such an amazing movie. Except, remake or original? Okay. We're not, I'm being we're serious. Not, I, we're I not talking know. about the remake. Okay, the I'm sorry. The original is, like, a groundbreaking movie. Forgive me. I did not know the, the dichotomy there. <laughs> the The original is a groundbreaking movie and, like, so chilling and, and pitch perfect and, and t- like, brings up all of this. Feminism was, like, such a different thing back in, like, I think it's the 70s when that came out and... And so it said something so new about women and women being restrained by men and and men being afraid of this power. And it said all of the things that like Don't Worry Darling was trying to say, but it did it at a time when it was new. And Don't Worry Darling was very derivative of that. And so I would watch the original Stepford Wives. I think it's really chilling and really scary and does everything that this movie wanted to do, but better and in more creative ways. I, and I also think like, yeah, if, if somebody had told me this movie was just a remake of Stepford Wives, I actually think I would have liked it better because it did just mm. kind of copy those moments. And instead it just felt really derivative of Stepford Wives, the way that unfortunately Booksmart felt very derivative of Superbad. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Olivia, but I, I didn't need you to start doing things that don't feel like remakes of other movies. And a li- two things about, to build off of that too is Olivia Wilde has said in interviews the, the big inspirations for this movie were the Truman Show and Inception and it is kind of like really don't lie the Stepford Wives didn't infer you at all now I'm yeah. not saying she she hasn't watched it and that it, she would argue that it didn't infer her at all but to be like oh the movies that were my touchstone were this and this it's like you should maybe it was Stepford Wives <laughs> yeah two I agree with Allie 
if you, like if you want to watch it on streaming, go for it. That said, she and everyone else involved, uh, Olivia Wilde and everyone else involved, took great pains. They actually took a pay cut, not a pay cut, but like a budget cut to release this movie with Warner Brothers so that they could do it as a theatrical release and not for streaming. And I just I just don't think that was a good move. It's a very beautiful movie. You can tell a lot of care was put into the shots. But at the end of the day, like I keep saying, it's not a like good story. There's not enough story to cover a feature length film. Certainly not enough story to cover the ticket price that it will take to go see this movie. But like depending on where you live, a trip to the movies can be like 30 bucks minimum. So yeah. Really consider that, and if you're in it because you're a Harry Styles fan and you kind of want to see him in a sexy scene, or you kind of want to see him act, yeah, I'm telling you, you can wait until this is on streaming. You don't necessarily need to drop the coin that this is going to require. If you're in it for this kind of 1960s something ain't right motif, like Ali said, please just watch The Stepford Wives. It's this, but done better and done first. Alternatively, if your whole bag is to see someone, to see a woman isolated, knowing something is wrong and being gaslit into not believing or or not being believed, I would say we saw a movie recently called Watcher that really does a great job of that, uh, that I would argue like, yeah, if that's the kind of thing you're looking for, watch that movie. It does it better. There's just so many, everything, if you've watched the trailer and you feel like this is going to scratch an itch that you have cinematically, you can scratch it elsewhere. Uh, So I would not recommend Don't Worry Darling. I'd wait for it to come on a streaming service you'll still be itchy after this movie yeah (laughs) wait till it subscribes to streaming fast forward to the sex scenes if that's what you want you know that's it i do not recommend it i mean i recommend watching it ish but yeah i wouldn't be like never watch this movie yeah i guess i'm not saying turn run away from it but it's not worth going out of your way it's not worth your money it's not yeah it's pretty it's very, very pretty. pretty, and I look forward to seeing what Olivia Wilde can do next. I would like her to team up with, I guess, maybe a better writer. And I, I mean, I think she will mature. I hope that she will mature a, a better hold on the every aspect of the movie that she's making. Absolutely. Well, Allie, my wife, our first podcast is a married couple. What'd you think? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Wife... Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at analretentive, A-N-E-L-R-E-T-E-N-T-I-V-E. You can find my writing on parade.com. And uh, sometimes the two of us have uh, done other podcasts. What did we do? The Socially Distanced podcast. A couple others, but I'm not really going to announce that just yet. Yeah. But yeah, you can, we, we love podcasting. If you have a podcast and you want these voices on them, reach out. And the place you can find me, I'm on Twitter at Tyler McCarthy. You can find my writing at USA Insider, uh, where I'm covering all things USA Network, English Premier League, NASCAR, Race for the Championship, Snake in the Grass. There's a lot of great stuff on there and I'm talking about it. Chucky. Chucky. How could I forget? The I Chucky, Chucky, which also leads me into our final goodbye, which is guys, it's the start of spooky season. So next week or sorry, next episode, rather, you can find us kicking off spooky season with a very good friend of ours covering the classic kind of ooky spooky movie Ghost. Yeah, that's so, right. So we will see you then. I love Ghost too. Yeah, and special thanks to Mallory Johns for our intro and outro music. And special thanks to Alex Marcus, our producer. (laughs) 